0: We've come now to the second part of our consideration of modesty in our series on worldliness, a banquet in the grave. And as we consider this lost virtue or forgotten virtue of modesty, the second part at least, there's a risk. There's a risk involved here with what we're going to consider because when you address modesty, it's not all that difficult to address it in principle. Most of us would probably agree on the principles, but as soon as you start making specific applications, the task gets far more difficult. One risk in our time this morning uh, is a bit of a personal risk, you might say. Anytime a person takes on the uh, opportunity to speak about something like modesty, what you're doing as a speaker is inviting everyone who hears you to question and second guess all of your clothing choices for yourself and that of your family for the next 20 years. That's really kind of annoying. But more seriously, there's also a risk of offending someone. Likely something's going to be said this morning that might offend or annoy someone. And of course, I never wish to do that unnecessarily. And yet, anytime we are dealing with truth, and I remind us that God's word is truth, anytime we deal with truth, we have to risk offending someone. Make no mistake, God's word, which is truth, is offensive to a sinful world. But what we have to consider this morning, and I would ask you to ask this question, if, if something is offensive, if something you, you just don't quite like what's being said, ask this question, do I not like it? because it's true, and it just grates on me for some reason? Or do I not like it because it's wrong? Because sometimes we're offended more because it's true than because it's wrong. And we have to always go back to God's word to determine the difference. But here's what Paul says once again. I desire then, speaking of worship in the church, but this applies to all of life for the Christian, I desire then that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or anger, and quarreling, that is, don't, don't get into fights, don't get upset with one another when you come together to worship specifically. Men, don't give in to your anger. Secondly, verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And we have two challenges to consider, first, the the challenge of what we might call inner modesty and the challenge of outer or external modesty. Regarding inner modesty, we spent most of the first sermon, you might remember, addressing the heart issues, which is where it has to start. Because how we choose to adorn ourselves, how we choose to dress, how we choose to present ourselves in the world and in worship in the church, ultimately is a reflection of the orientation of our hearts before God. And the principle we came away with was this. Dress your heart before you consider what you dress on the outside, and consider your inner motivation for why you dress and present yourself the way that you do. And then we moved on briefly to external or outer modesty. Our manner of dress says much about our values, and modesty is one way that we say no to the idols of physical perfection and sex that are worshiped in our culture. What does your clothing say about you? It says something about what you value, and Paul addresses this topic with three words in this passage. We considered, first of all, the first word, respectable, meaning something that's orderly or well-arranged or decent. And the question that came out of that was, is this outfit or the way I'm presenting myself, is it becoming or unbecoming? Is it respectable or not? And now we want to consider the second word, which is the word that we typically think of, the word modesty when this topic comes up, and it means appropriate regard. It's the opposite of brashness or insolence or audacity or a shameless sense of self-importance. Modesty involves an inward restraint or aversion towards anything that is indecent or out of proportion in God's eyes. Dressing modestly means first that we're not defiant towards God. It's not, God, I'm going to do what I want regardless of what you want. As a child of God, he is our Lord, he is our master, we must follow what he says, understanding that he knows best. We choose clothes then that are decent in his eyes, We're we're in essence clothing ourselves and presenting ourselves first and foremost to him, not to anyone else. And if it's acceptable in his eyes, then it can and ought and will be acceptable in the eyes of other people. We choose clothes that are decent to him, not clothes that are provocative or seductive or that honor nakedness, as our society often does. When we dress decently, we recognize that God ordained clothing to cover, not to expose or draw attention to ourselves. We cover up out of respect for him, the gospel, other Christians, other people in general, and out of respect for what he made us to be, which goes all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And the question that arises from this word is, is it decent or indecent? And we remember Revelation 3.18 tells us that as a Christian, our clothing is supposed to tell the truth about the gospel. It shows the world that Jesus covers our shame and makes us decent. We're we're made decent in his eyes because the righteousness of Christ has been given to us as a garment or a clothing to cover our sin and shame before him. But thirdly, the third word is self-controlled. Godly women, Paul says, are self-controlled in their behavior and in the way they dress and how they present themselves externally. They rein in particular impulses and avoid crazy extremes in fashion or hairstyles or makeup, potentially. They avoid spending inordinate amounts of money, stuffing their closets full of vast quantity of clothing. As in the case with everything else, their clothing decisions are governed with a holy sense of moderation, simplicity, and self-control. And the question that arises from this word is, is it moderate or excessive? And all three of these terms, we could boil down to a particular principle. Remember, the context is worship. Worship both in the gathered group of believers, the church, but also just worship as a daily part of our life and our normal rituals. Here's the principle. Dress in such a way that you are approachable and welcoming and that you put Jesus in a good light. It's quite easy through overdressing or underdressing to act in such a way where we're not really approachable. It's a bit off-putting. Or it doesn't put Jesus in a good light, and that's what we must consider. But in case the point was missed from last week, You might remember in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 when sin first entered humanity, and Adam and Eve are feeling ashamed because of their nakedness, and they try to get a makeshift set of clothing. When God comes to them, you remember it wasn't just Eve who was ashamed, it was also Adam, and God in turn clothed both of them in a tunic of animal skins. He didn't just clothe Eve, he also clothed Adam, and he didn't give them just bare strips of cloth to cover up a couple parts, it was a substantive garment. We also see in the Old Testament, in many places, here's one for instance, in the Levitical priesthood, when those priests would represent the people to God and God to the people in the Old Testament Jewish religious system, they were told exactly what to wear, how long it should be, etc., even down to the details of what they were to wear under those outer garments. Why? Why did God take such care and consideration? Why did he point out? The, even the undergarments that a, a priest should wear, well, it was in part, it explicitly says in Exodus 20 and 28, it was in part in order to protect the modesty of those men. And what both Genesis and Exodus and many other passages teach is modesty is not just something that women need to consider, but also men. We have to understand the purpose of clothing and ask ourselves these three questions Is it becoming? Is it decent? Is it moderate? And when we ask those, it'll help us to figure out what to wear and how to present ourselves. The Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, cares about our clothing choices. He has a vested interest in making sure that we adorn our bodies in a way that honors Christ. Why? Because we're told in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies, physical bodies as a Christian, are the temple of God's spirit, which we have within us. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. What was the price? The precious blood and death of Christ on the cross. Therefore, it says, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are his. So this is now the temple. We don't have a physical temple that we go to. Even this building is just a building. There's nothing special about the bricks of this building, nothing that makes them more holy than any other bricks in your home. The real temple is where God meets with his people, which for the Christian is where God's spirit dwells. That's your body. He chooses to dwell with you. And as such, we need to properly adorn the body he's given us, which is his temple. As we mentioned previously, Paul is speaking to women in this passage, not because modesty is exclusively a female issue, but because it's more often than not a greater challenge for females, just as anger is more often an issue for men, as is mentioned in verse 8. But just a few verses after instructing, instructing women to dress in a way that is appropriate and respectable and self-controlled. The same terminology is used, and it's applied to pastors in 1 Timothy 3, for instance, and leaders in the church. They, too, need to be respectable and self-controlled. And we could look throughout Scripture, and we'll find those same terms applied to men and women, old and young alike. Respectable behavior and self-control are traits that should be displayed by all who love Christ, Romans 13 and Galatians 5 tells us. So if our choices of attire speak to our character, then inside-out modesty certainly applies to both genders. The Christian's clothing should be respectable and modest, demonstrating self-control because that's the common standard for all Christians. Clothing is not meant to be about us. Our society says it is all about us, but that's not what it's supposed to be. It's meant to display deep, profound truths about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spiritual adornment is the reality, and that should be the emphasis for a Christian. Physical adornment is the symbol of that inner spiritual reality. A woman whose heart has been made beautiful through holiness in Christ will delight to dress in a way that pleases her Lord, just as a Christian man will do. A woman's faith ought to influence her wardrobe choices as much as it influences every other aspect of her behavior in her life. And what we want to do now, over the next few moments, is to apply this in specific ways. First, to men and women collectively, especially husbands and wives in the home. Then to men specifically, and then to women specifically. We begin with men and women collectively. Christian men must lead, the Bible says, in all areas of life. They need to lead. If a Christian husband, a Christian father needs to lead his wife and his children... He needs to lead them in worship, first and foremost, before God. He needs to lead them in other practical ways as well, and included is this manner of modesty. Husbands and fathers, where is your family at spiritually? What is their view of themselves, and do they have to impress you or someone else outside the home through their clothing, or are they focused on the inner attitudes of the heart and humility and self-control? How are you, Christian man, leading your wife and children and grandchildren in these ways according to God's word? Pastor Jeff Pollard said this in his book on Christian modesty. Although women are vulnerable to wearing lavish or sensual apparel, their fathers and husbands are ultimately responsible for what the women in their homes wear, as well as, I would add, what the men in their home wear. He's exactly right. Christian men and women need to study this matter and fervently pray about it. And Christian men need to lead in a biblical way. Obviously, modesty modesty should be addressed in our churches. That's true, we're doing that today. But first and foremost, it really has to be addressed in the home, according to God's word. Frankly, if it was addressed in the home, according to God's word, there would be no need to address it in the church and no need to address it in the public sphere either. But our society as a whole and Unfortunately, many Christian homes as well have abdicated their responsibility here, and Christian men especially need to jump in and fill that gap. And by the way, for those who don't have godly Christian parents, as I know many of you do not, you're first-generation Christians, then for you, seek out godly Christian husbands and wives, families in the church that you can spend time with. It's perfectly appropriate for a young lady in this congregation, if you don't have Christian parents who have a, a biblical view of this, then seek out a a godly Christian woman in the congregation, and and even to the point of saying, hey, would you mind going shopping with me? I don't quite know how to apply some of these things that God says, but I certainly want to, and I could use your help as someone with more experience. That would be a wonderful thing. But now the specifics of how we apply this collectively. First of all, to the home. Mothers and fathers, model the way you dress, uh, I should say model the way you should dress around your children. Show a sense of propriety around the home. More is caught than is taught in many areas. And this is certainly the case in modesty. But don't just show them. Also explain to them why it's appropriate to dress in one way or the other. Educate your children on what's appropriate and how they should present themselves in public and private. What about men and women in sports or the gym? Consider what you wear at the gym. Is it respectable? Is it modest? Is it excessively revealing? This should be equally applied to men and women. For instance, if you ever want to see arrogant male vanity on full display, just go to the local gym. You'll never see men gazing at themselves in the mirror more often than at the gym. It's pathetic. Why? Well, there's an arrogance there. There's a self-sense of importance. This can happen for men and women, and we need to be careful. We need to be thoughtful. There is an appropriate Uh, mode of dress for sports and for the gym without it being excessively revealing. So consider consider what you wear. Social media as well. Men and women be careful what you post on social media as a Christian. Your brothers and sisters in Christ as well as the watching world don't need to see your half-clothed pictures when you're on holiday or at your home. And parents too need to be careful about what they post of their children on social media because it may look cute when they're three, but that picture never goes away. In fact, there have even been instances of teenagers killing themselves in our recent uh, memory at some of our schools in this area because of being bullied from pictures that have been posted online from their parents in an innocent way. There was no intention there, but we must be careful. Those things don't need to be posted online. Now let's consider an application or several applications for men specifically. First, the words a man uses are extremely important. Remember the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He says that as Christians, we need to speak truth and we need to be men and women of the truth. That is, people should be able to understand what we say and believe us We shouldn't need to say, oh, I'm being honest, I'm being 100% truthful here. You shouldn't need to add in all these extra explanations. You should just say what's true, and people should be able to trust you because they know that you are honest. And men need to be people of their word. And we need to be very careful of our words, men. For example, you should never call another woman hot, except your own wife and that to her privately. You don't need to rate women on a scale of 1 to 10 or some other such nonsense which is prevalent in our society today. That is ungodly. Men are prone to use these words and phrases and many others we can mention, but in so doing, what are they doing? They're objectifying women. They're not seeing her as a person, and it's often excused as merely locker room talk, which is usually just another way of saying sinful talk before God. It's unacceptable. Now, while complimenting a woman certainly has a place that's allowed, But as a Christian man, consider, don't follow the way of the world. Why is it nine times out of ten if we compliment a woman as a man? It's always about her appearance. But as a Christian, we should know that her character is of equal or greater importance. Consider giving a compliment to your sister in Christ regarding her character and the grace of God in her life. Remember also Matthew 5 where Jesus says, keep your eyes and hearts under control, men. By doing so, a man not only keeps himself from lust, but also does not look at a woman in such a way as to invite her or tempt her to inappropriately seek more attention from him. Of course, it's not wrong to observe the beauty of a woman. Praise God that in his infinite wisdom, he created women as beautiful and graceful creatures, far more than the male species, I almost said, the male gender. We're not a different species although some, some women might think men are a different species. But, nothing someone's, uh, but noting someone's body and their beauty and, choose, and choosing to stare, leer, or lust are very different things. You can note a person's beauty without lusting after them or prolonged looking or inappropriate desire and fantasy in your heart. Those are off-limits for the Christian man, Jesus says. Thirdly, avoid sexually provocative clothing as men. Now, we don't normally think about this because most of the fashions of our society um, emphasize sexuality for women in their clothing. But it can also emphasize it for men. By the way, let me just take a pause here. All that we're saying with these applications so far and the ones that are coming, I want us to understand what we are not doing. We are not trying to give just a list of rules. You have to do it this way. It has to be this long or this short. We're not trying to give overly specific rules. That's not what Paul does in this passage. That's not what the New Testament does. That's not what the whole of the Bible does, except in very particular instances, such as the Levitical priests in the Old Testament. It generally gives principles and then says, apply that in your cultural context by the Holy Spirit's power according to the word of God. Some of you know I grew up in a very conservative Christian environment. And one of the things that that environment did was it often tended towards a legalistic structure. And so there was lists and lists and lists of rules when it came to what a man or a woman could or could not wear. For instance, the men, in their appearance, as soon as a man's uh, hair grew to a length where it was touching the top of his ears, that was worldly. That was sinful. And it had to be cut immediately. Now, I see a few of you who are worldly and sinful right now, all right? That was absurd. Or for some of the ladies, there were these uh, rules of, I remember one particular rule, uh, a lady could have one ear piercing in each ear, but that was it. Any more was worldly and sinful. But then they changed the rule so that each lady could have up to two earrings in each ear, but any more after. And I thought, really, what changed? What, what changed on that? Or the rule of for a dress or a skirt, it, ha- it had to be long enough to reach to the middle of the kneecap. If it was any higher, that is worldly and sensual and sexual. You see the absurdity of that. It becomes legalistic. Now, I'm sure there was perhaps an originally good and wholesome motivation there, but it became absurd. That's not what we're trying to do here. This is why we've been emphasizing the heart first and foremost. But if we have a heart for God, we have to apply biblical truth the way God tells us to do so, which does mean some specific applications are in order without going to the extent of legalism. That's not what we're trying to do. So men, fourthly, do you really need to wear those muscle shirts and short shorts? What about tight pants? No. I know this is, for some reason, in our society right now, even with suit pants and such, tight pants are in for the guys. It's absurd, it's stupid, it's unnecessary, and there's a purpose for it. It's to show off certain things. There's no need for it. You don't need to wear that nonsense. Why do you need to wear the equivalent of underwear at the beach? While at the beach with my family, I often wonder why men are generally ashamed to walk around in their underwear in public, but as soon as they go to the beach, they're happy to do it. Why does the presence of water change this situation? It's nonsense. Just because there's water doesn't mean that we can all of a sudden disobey God. This is merely following the way of the world. Advertisers know it, after all. Hollywood certainly knows it. We see it all the time. And Satan knows it, that women, whether at the beach or elsewhere, can and often are attracted visually as well. Perhaps not to the same extent that men are, but many women are. And Christian men must not be oblivious to the struggle of many Christian women that they share with us. Just as we want our Christian sisters to look after our hearts, in a sense, and to consider us, we too must consider them and their hearts. And we actually have an added duty that they do not have because God emphasizes in his word that the men need to lead in such instances. So we need, we need to ask the same question. Is it becoming? Is it moderate? Is it decent? And we might pause here and acknowledge something. Perhaps some of the men are thinking, oh, don't worry, pastor, if I took off my shirt, everyone would run away and hide. OK, fine. I, I, I get that. All right. But more seriously, dress up properly in all situations. What about for church, which is the gathered people of God, the church of the living God? Why do we commonly dress up more for work, men? than we do at church. Is your boss really more important than Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Don't fall into the sinful worldliness pattern of our society that suggests you dress down for everything. There's a complete lack of propriety in most elements of our society where we just, the common denominator is dress down, dress down, dress down. Don't fall into that trap. There are certain places and certain situations in which we should and ought to dress up. Don't dress like a bum at church and call it worship. That's not worship. Have you considered how you're serving others by what you wear at church? Do you make yourself more or less approachable in how you present yourself? Now, some might object to this point, and we do need to consider this objection, that it doesn't really matter how I appear on the outside, right, because as long as my heart is right with God. That's the main thing. And certainly our heart is the main thing. But if your heart is right with God, then it will show itself on the outside. That's what we spent most of last week considering. Your actions flow from your heart. And so you can't get away with just saying, well, my heart is right with God, but my actions don't show it. No, that's not the way it works for a Christian. The Old Testament is filled with very specific descriptions of what people were to wear in the Old Testament system when coming into God's presence. Now, I realize it's slightly different now. We come to a church, not a temple, etc. But they needed to check their hearts too. And yet, checking their hearts didn't all of a sudden uh, mean that they could just flippantly ignore what God said or come to him in a casual manner. We are coming before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are coming to worship him. Are we dressing for that role? Remember too, men, that you can be just as prone to dress for attention. Generally, in our society, a man's vanity, if we want to call it that, is primarily shown in his overdressing in certain circumstances, to call attention to himself, whereas for women, the emphasis is usually underdressing. But of course, for a man, dressing nice is not wrong. If you're going to a formal event, by all means, dress up. But there is a way of dressing up that may be wrong. Are you wearing flashy or provocative clothes as a status symbol or for showiness? Uh, Do you spend the same amount of time on your character? Christian man, as you do on your wardrobe, your appearance, your car, or your accessories, and how you present yourself. Now let's move on to some applications for the women. In the world, the trend over the last hundred years or so, especially, has been underdressing. This is quite different to what it was for hundreds of years prior to that. Generally, both in the time period of Paul writing to Timothy here. I could give you quotes from the Puritans 400 years ago. The emphasis for many women throughout history was overdressing to attract attention, and in certain cases, underdressing. But today, the society has moved to the opposite direction of underdressing or dressing in a sensual or sexual manner. The emphasis usually is on immodestly scant clothing, clothing which is too revealing, whether too low, too thin, too transparent, too tight, whatever it is. Much of the clothing sold today calls improper attention to sexuality. The human drive to show off in this area of clothing and demeanor is immensely strong, driving the market for cosmetics, fashionable clothes, perfumes, and many other things, most of which have a sensual component. Clothing was originally intended to cover, but today it's meant to expose or reveal. As the theologian Dorothy Patterson has rightly said, the decadence of modern society is on view for the entire world to see. How grateful believing women ought to be that God affirms the beauty of this virtue of modesty that's so important to true femininity. By addressing the matter clearly in scripture, women are enjoined, especially Christian women, are enjoined to clothe themselves with modesty as a way of life in their interactions with others. And there is an objection, a partially valid objection, that needs to be brought up here. Uh, A lady might say something like this, well, it shouldn't matter so much what I wear because men have a responsibility before God not to lust and to deal with their own thoughts and not to fantasize or leer. That's true, up to a point. So we might think as a result of that, a guy shouldn't look, so it shouldn't matter what I do with my own body. But while you are correct, in a sense, for a Christian woman, that a man is responsible for his thoughts and actions, and Jesus is very clear, Matthew 527 to 32, interestingly, in that passage, Jesus clearly condemns lustful leering of men. He doesn't apply that to women. Why not? Not because a woman is incapable of leering or lusting, but because men are far more prone to it. But while Jesus is clear that men should not look with lust, the Bible also tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, that a brother or sister in Christ should not defraud their other brother or sister. Now, to defraud is an older word we don't use all that much, except in a financial context. But what it means in that passage is to create within someone a desire that cannot be righteously satisfied. And the context is sexuality. And so what it's saying there is Christian men, Christian women, don't act in such a way, don't dress in such a way, don't approach yourself in in how others view you by what you wear and what you put on. Don't do that in such a way where you create within someone else, your brother or sister in Christ, a sexual desire, a sensual desire which cannot be properly satisfied because they are not your spouse. And so what that means is we're also not to encourage, as Christians, men or women, sexual feelings and desires within the heart of our brothers or sisters in Christ. And we can and often might do that through what we wear. So we do have to be careful. We each have a responsibility. Jesus is very clear on this. Men, you have a particular responsibility in certain circumstances. You make sure of what you're doing in your heart and mind before God. And Christian women, you have a responsibility for what you're doing in your heart and your actions before God as well. We're also told in another scripture, don't place a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in your brother or sister's way. We do have to consider one another. And this leads to a few specific applications. First of all, Christian women, don't be naive about what the world is doing. Many of you are probably more aware of this than uh, many of the men are. But today, no longer is it just lipstick, for instance. It's also lip gloss, lip wax, lip liner, all to make the lips appear more full and red for kissing. The cheeks more flushed by makeup to show sexual arousal and Barbie doll high heels are engineered specifically to accentuate the female's figure for sensual purposes. But if you're not selling, they don't advertise, and a Christian woman should never be selling. She's far too precious. Secondly, what about makeup? The Bible does, doesn't say anywhere that a woman should not wear makeup or cannot wear makeup or that a, a good, godly Christian woman should not. Some have wrongly suggested that from 1 Peter chapter 3. We won't take time to look at that, but that's not what that passage is saying. It should be said, though, that a sister in Christ may have too much makeup that she's wearing or wearing it in such a way that it draws attention to something that's not quite helpful. For some, wearing makeup also, or certain clothing, gives a woman an inner sense of confidence and makes her feel good in a public sphere. Here too, though, we have to apply some questions about the heart. Are we finding our acceptance or our identity, our acceptance in how we present ourselves to others or how they view us? Because that's not really where we should be finding our identity as a Christian woman. Are we looking for compliments because that boosts our self-esteem? That's not really where our self-esteem should be coming from. It should be coming from the fact that you are a redeemed child of God and you're accepted in his sight regardless of what you wear, and regardless of whether your physical beauty is on full display now or even after it fades, you are still equally accepted before him. This is why it's not as simple as just questions of, can I wear makeup or not? It's far more complex than that, and it should be. Makeup, biblically speaking, is not required, of course. But if you do wear it, according to 1 Timothy 2 and other passages, the principle will be, just don't, do, don't overdo it and consider why you're doing it, where it's coming from. And put the emphasis where it should be. Let the beauty and purity of Christ be the most important makeup you wear. Thirdly, it's important to remember, especially in this society, that clothing can expose or reveal too much. Short skirts, short shorts, too small t-shirts, or other bits of clothing all expose more than is helpful oftentimes. Form-fitting skirts and t-shirts and jeans and sweaters and spandex are almost always unnecessary. Why do you need to show your form off to other people? If a young lady places a coin in her hip pocket, and all the boys can tell what type of coin it is through the fabric, then there's probably something wrong. Clothing can also indicate something that you don't want to communicate. For instance, unbuttoned blouses or tight jeans or high slits in dresses. It may not be that you're showing anything inappropriate, but it's not always what's seen, but it's also what's indicated that you have to consider whether it's out of sight or not officially. Now, what about swimwear? We considered that for the men. Let's consider that for the women. The Bible does not require modesty, except at the beach or the pool. Here are a few questions to consider with swimwear choices. This might also apply to sportswear, etc. Is this decent? Is it moderate? Is my primary justification for wearing it the, the fact that everyone else is wearing it, so I'm just kind of doing what everyone else does? You can't follow the way of the world. Because their way cannot be trusted to be a godly way. Does this outfit show off or reveal things that only my husband should see, whether you're married or not? And would Jesus approve of my choice of outfit if he were here in person? If he showed up on the beach or at the pool, would you be embarrassed? Another consideration is what about formal wear? Consider what you wear when you're going to a formal event. Those are wonderful events. And especially for uh, many women, that's a wonderful opportunity to buy a new dress, a new outfit. But we have to apply these principles there as well. Let me give one for instance. At weddings, it's truly unfortunate um, that for many Christian women perhaps who otherwise seek to be modest and uh, self-controlled and respectable as they appear to others, that for a formal event such as a wedding, those things can sometimes just fail to be applied altogether. But we have to apply these biblical principles with clothing both at formal and informal events. Another consideration is sex appeal. The world tells us and pushes for ladies to dress in a sexual manner. Dressing in a sexy manner according to the world is exposing more of the body than necessary, and especially exposing private body parts to accentuate much of the female body. But this is exposing God's temple. Your physical body is the temple of Christ, which is not something a Christian should be doing. You're you're far more precious than our world considers you to be. Consider the following area. This is just one example, because we don't have time to go through all the examples in the New Testament for men or women. Several others could be mentioned, but consider this, for instance. A woman's breasts should be covered. That part of a female's anatomy is private and should not be completely or partially revealed to anyone except her husband. Proverbs 5.19 and the whole book of Song of Solomon make this abundantly clear, that a woman's breasts are only for her husband's viewing, and hers are the only breasts he should be looking at ever. And this brings us to an important point. In the presence of your husband and wife, husband and wife, husband or wife, you are free to dress in whichever manner you like, even staying nude at times. That's perfectly appropriate, of course. For your husband or wife's pleasure and sexual satisfaction, you can and ought to dress in any way that the two of you decide when there's just the two of you. That's not a sin. Rather, it's the appropriate place that God has ordained for that sort of sexuality and sensuality between two people within a God-ordained marriage. He's not against sexuality or sensuality. He made it. He's all for it within proper confines, and the proper confines are marriage. So preserve your beauty and sexuality for the one who will appreciate it and with whom you've covenanted together in marriage. But in the presence of your brothers or sisters in Christ or in the public as a whole, you must dress honorably and decently, the Bible says. What does this mean for shopping? It means that standing at the rack looking at all this Clothing, you have an opportunity for discipleship. We don't normally think about that. But the real question is not about how short or how long or how tight. We have to consider that at some point, but that's not the real question. It's about identity. This does mean that any lady who seeks to be modest, we should acknowledge this, in our current society, if you seek to be modest and respectable and self-controlled as a Christian woman in how you present yourself, how you dress, then that means you're probably gonna have a challenging time finding appropriate clothing. It means it might take you longer at the shopping center to find something that is legitimately decent and appropriate. Why? Because the fashion of our age is not informed by biblical truth. But God will honor your extra effort and time. When you show, by your action, a heart of modesty, God will applaud you. And if you have his praise and his acceptance, that's the main thing. As Elizabeth Elliot wrote in the book, Let Me Be a Woman... The fact that I am a woman, she says, does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I am a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. That's well said. God made you a woman, and so dress accordingly. And I would highly encourage you, by the way, to read that book. If you haven't, Let Me Be a Woman or Passion and Purity by Elizabeth Elliot. And if you have any questions about how to apply this specifically, seek out some of the godly women in our congregation. I'm sure they would be glad to speak with you. And I say that particularly because I know we have many first-generation Christians here. And so maybe you can't go to your parents, because they're not Christians themselves. You can't go to them to get good biblical truth on these topics. Modesty, for a Christian woman especially, gives a mystique, an added charm, a wholesome appeal. Modesty moves the emphasis to what's within, what Peter describes as the gentle and quiet spirit of a godly Christian woman, and enhances a woman's testimony while framing that testimony in a God-honoring way. Someone has said this, being immodest and attractive is easy. Being modest and repulsive is easy, too. But being modest and attractive at the same time is an art form. Christian women should cultivate that art form and represent the glorious beauty that is womanhood the way God intended it. Christian men. Consider how you present yourselves and why you choose to do so. Christian families, act in a distinctly countercultural manner in regard to this forgotten virtue of modesty. As Christians, let us cultivate godly virtue from a forgiven heart and then intentionally inform our outward dress, our demeanor, and our expression with a godly orientation of the heart. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we acknowledge that our society certainly doesn't teach your ways on the topic of this virtue of modesty. Help us to redraw our thinking and our consideration based on your word and its truth. May we present ourselves at church, but also in public, at home, and everywhere in a way that's respectable, that's modest, that's self-controlled, that allows us to be easily approached, and that represents Christ well. And may we do it not because someone else might judge us otherwise, or to be accepted by someone else in their expectations, but may we do it because of who you have made us to be as Christians, because of a heart of gratitude, and because we understand your way is always the best way. We ask this in your name. Amen.